you live and you work or you play, there are thousands of people that don't know the love of Christ. There's thousands of people that don't know Jesus and what he can bring their life and how he can transform their life. And so there's a mission for us. Will you just turn to the person next to you and say, I'm on a mission? Okay, this was church. It wasn't a library. I mean, nobody was going to shush you. All right, can we try that again? Huh? Turn to somebody and say, I'm on a mission. Yeah, if you claim Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to know this morning from his word, you are on a mission. And guess what? The church, this building, Wendover Hills Church, we're just part of helping you on the mission. We are not the mission, the church. So if you came this morning and you're like, hey, I got to church. I mean, we're approaching the end of May. This is like three times this month, four times this month. That's awesome. I'm glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here. But that's not the mission. The church is here to, to encourage you, to refuel you, and send you out to do the mission of loving people for Jesus Christ and telling people about what Christ could bring to their life. And I don't know about you, but it kind of breaks my heart to know there's thousands of people in our lives that don't know Jesus Christ, that don't know the love of God, who have only understood a misrepresentation of Jesus that they might have seen on their TV or heard on their radio. And so I want you to know I'm not okay with that. I hope you're not okay with that. And I, I'm not okay with people like dying not knowing the love of God. Or, or people who are out there that, that, just, that just have walked away for whatever reason from church and have kind of been written off. Well, they used to be church, but they're not anymore. Or a group of people that maybe have never heard the name of Christ yet. And so this is a unique day. It's for us to kind of engage with all of our Wesleyan churches, though our, this mission is not exclusive to Wesleyan churches. It is God's church in general. Uh, today's also Pentecost Sunday. I don't know if you know that, but that is the day that the, the birth of the church happened in the first place. So my hope is that I'll share with you what God is up to uh, in, in advancing his kingdom and how we could join that effort as well as individual Christians and as a corporate body here at Wendover Hill. So question for you. Uh, anybody know who the first church planner was? Any guesses? Church, first church planner? If you know your Bible a little bit? Yeah. See, I, I heard it come from over here already because you guys have recently gone through the Sunday school system. So you've learned that the correct answer is almost always Jesus. If you're not sure, just say Jesus. And uh, that is correct. Even though we learn about Paul being a missionary and Peter as well, we learn about the disciples going out and launching the church. It's Jesus. Why? Because we find that Jesus actually pulls together the first launch team. Like he pulls these guys together and he builds into them. And then you know what he says? Get out. Go. Go do what I just showed you how to do and make it happen. You ever been a supervisor or a leader in a position and you've built into somebody and the time came to say, hey, now go do it. And they're like, nah, I'm good. Or no, I don't think I know enough yet. And you're like, yeah, yeah you do. That's what Jesus does. And so he's the first person to launch faith communities throughout the world. Jesus is like the ripple maker like we talked about, and hold on to that metaphor, would you, throughout this message. Interesting, when Jesus sent out his disciples, this is what he actually believes about the church, okay? You got to hear this. Uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, he says, I will build my church, we know that, right? And the gates of hell will not stand against it. 
Like Jesus was so emphatic about what he was launching that he makes this declaration that hell itself will not prevail on my church. Now, I just shared with you in in the U.S., uh, the church is actually in decline. Worldwide, we're seeing some growth, but there's decline in God's churches. About 96% of most church growth, especially in our megachurches, is transfer growth. In fact, we're now being told as many as two out of three people being baptized are re-baptized people. We're not seeing the growth that even our numbers always indicate here. But you know what Jesus says? The gates of hell will not prevail. Jesus is saying, look, um, I know it would seem we're, we're at a time, and some scholars have even said if we continue on this for the next 15 or 20 years, the church will kind of cease to exist as we know it at least. But you know, it's not the first time we've faced this uh, in the history. In fact, if you study Christian history, you will know revivals always come at just the moment God needs to blow up and expand what he wants to do. At just the point when we think we can manage this whole mission things independently of Jesus Christ, God comes in and says, you got, you, you got to think a different way. And revival comes. And maybe this is the time. Maybe this is the time we need it and should pray for it. But Jesus believes hell will not prevail over my church. So the church is significant. So let's just talk about that a little bit. My assignment is really to, to tell you, uh, this, what this crucial work of the kingdom is and how we can, both as individuals and as a church, be a ripple effect. That we can multiply believers and leaders and churches, and we can, in the same metaphor of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, we can be a part of the movement of Christ. So if you have your Bibles, John chapter 20, verse 19 through 22 is where we'll kind of hunker down for a few minutes here. John 20, 19 through 20, or if you have your phone or tablet, uh, encourage you to keep that Bible app uh, right there on that front page of your tablet, or don't bury that thing back on page five, huh? Uh, Keep that right there. So if you have that, look it up. Uh, We'll provide it on the screen as well. This is a post-resurrection passage, and uh, Jesus kind of encounters his disciples, and he gives them instructions. Let me set the stage a little bit for you. Um, Because of Jesus's uh, arrest and crucifixion, the disciples worried about this happening to them. They're, they are in a room and they are locked down, is what the passage said, for fear of the Jewish authorities. So the door is locked. Now we get this image that maybe not just a simple lock. They had been around a long time, but maybe there was a barring of the doors here so that it couldn't be pushed in. So it speaks a little bit to their state of mind and where they're at and what they're thinking. In fact, they are in protection mode at this point, not mission mode. Jesus is going to burst on the scene in just a moment, but they're in protection mode. By Sunday evening, the apostles, they had begun to receive these reports of Jesus' sightings. Crucifixion had just happened, and now they're hearing, whoa, Jesus' sightings. They had heard that Jesus had appeared to Mary Magdalene, appeared to Peter. The disciples on the road to Emmaus, had, had the report had come in as well. But this door is still locked. It speaks to their mode, right? They're in protection mode at this point, not mission mode. Jesus is going to come and give mission. Can we just pause there for just a second? Believers, one of the reasons at times we're so ineffective in sharing the love of God or reaching people for Jesus Christ or seeing people come to know Jesus that we're constantly uh, praying with or baptizing or building into and discipling is because we live most of our life in protection mode. We are protecting what we got, my home, I mean, you know, my kids, uh, my, my job, my money, we're protecting my possessions. 
my lifestyle. And what Jesus is bursting in is saying, I'm going to give you mission. In fact, it's going to be incredibly risky mission. Francis Chan, the author, actually calls it reckless mission. Because the things that seem like we should be spending all of our time protecting, it's hard to spend all of our time there if we're going to be part of the mission of advancing the kingdom of Christ. And so it's worded in such. So Jesus is coming on the scene. He comes through the, the, the door, the wall. He appears, right? And here's what happens. Verse, uh, chapter 20, verse 19 of John. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, when the door locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood there among them. We often get the picture of him kind of like going right through a door or a wall. We don't actually get that word here. But Jesus appears. Boom. He's there. Peace be with you. Now, that's a good first word. If Jesus just appeared, you might need to hear peace. You know, hang on, guys. Don't freak out too much here. Maybe this is the equivalent of a modern-day chill-out translation as Jesus pops in, and there he is. Verse 20, after he said this, he showed them his hands and sides. So important to say, look, it's me. This is actually me. You're not seeing a ghost here. Take a look. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said this, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, you might go, breathe on them. That's kind of gross, you know? And we don't really do that to each other when we walk up and breathe, you know, unless you want to get you know, socked in the face. Uh, think about the word prophesy. Some of your translations even said that. The word prophesy is so closely in the original language tied to the word breath, wind, and also to another word that Jesus uses at the end, spirit. And so these words are so closely tied that Jesus comes in and he prophesies. He speaks the Holy Spirit to them. Notice the first thing Jesus says is, peace be with you. Peace. Now, you might be familiar with that phrase, shalom, is the word that's used. We think about it in terms of like, kind of like save me from trouble, you know, bring peace. But the word actually means may God give you every good thing. So when Jesus in this setting is coming in and saying, may God give you every good thing, and then he's going to go in to say, I'm going to send you. What Jesus is tying to what John says throughout his gospel is that the spirit of God is, knowing the Son of God is tied to the mission of God as well, what he empowers us to do. And so he includes that in every good thing. The mission is a good thing, is what Jesus is saying here. Now, he doesn't spend much time beating around the bush. If you notice in verse 21, he says, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Just like God sent me, I'm sending you. So get ready, boys. You're going out. That's what he's saying to him right away. Now, this gives us a couple things that we need to know are, are really important. One, Jesus is saying in that simple verse that Jesus needs the church. Do you understand what he's saying there? Jesus needs the church. Sometimes, like, we get into this kind of cliche of saying, you know, God doesn't need anything. You know, he doesn't really need us. He doesn't need our money. He doesn't need our time. He doesn't need these type of things. We're just blessed that God allows us. And we are. It's true. And maybe since God is all-powerful, we could trace back that theology back to a phrase where we say God wouldn't actually need. But from the very beginning, God created. He created us for a purpose. 
And so it would make sense that once we were created and launched into this world, a bunch of needs were created too. And one of the ways God created his system is that he was one day going to establish his church and he would need his church, would need it. Why? Because Jesus' physical presence would no longer be in this world. Jesus was going up to be with the Father. And so Jesus needed someone to take his message to the world. And so we find that for every generation, they're in need of somebody to take it. And the church is the mouth to speak for Jesus. And the church is the feet that like run the errands of Jesus or the hands that actually do the work. So Jesus needs his church. We also find, just in that simple word, that the church needs Jesus. Do you understand that? I mean, the, a, a person who is sent needs somebody sending them, and Jesus is sending us a message to take, a, you know, a greater authority to back our message. This is why we say what we say. Sometimes, if we're not careful, the church world, many churches function just fine without Jesus, function just fine. They just roll. They got great programs and things are going well. Maybe they're even, their giving even looks good and all kinds of a bustle of activity. But Jesus is not the centerpiece of who they are. Can I just tell you this morning? I mean, Pastor Ants and I, we hang out uh, all week together, several days throughout the week talking church. We're just not a church that can make it without Jesus. Um, I don't know if we're just not good enough leaders for that, if that's just not, uh, uh, we're not gifted that way, but. We, we can't make it without Jesus. You know, maybe praise the Lord that uh, um, he's given you two pastors that just can't make it without Jesus. Biblically, though, we find that the church can't make it without Jesus. And finally, we see that the disciples must go in the same manner Jesus was sent. Jesus is saying here, I'm sending you. Jesus was actually sent by the fathers. Did you know that the book of John, 38 times in the book of John, we learned this principle that the father sent and now when Jesus is saying, and so just as the Father sent, I'm sending you. Do you understand what that means? Those 38 passages, they refer to you and I as well, that we're sent. That much of what John is saying in his gospel is directed specifically to you and I, that we will be sent as well. Not my will, right? Thy will. Your will be done, God. And part of God's will being done is his mission on this earth. And so... Uh, let's take a look at this verse just a little bit uh, closer here as, as we move forward. Uh, Jesus says, peace be with you as the Father has sent me. I am sending you. What's the key word that we find in there? It shows up twice in some form. It's the word send. This word send. It's actually two different Greek words that are used. They really mean about the same thing, but there's a little nuanced difference. Uh, the first is referring to Jesus's mission of redemption. Guess what? You and I aren't called to that mission. We don't redeem people. That's the work of Jesus Christ. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's God's stuff. But just as he was sent to bring redemption, you and I are sent to share his work of redemption with other people, to speak the word of redemption, to let people know redemption is indeed possible. I love telling married couples that are struggling, God can bring healing and redemption to your marriage. I love it even more when they believe it when they grab hold of it and go, that's true. We're starting to see it. We get it. That's what we're called to do, what we're called to sin. Now, picture this. Like, let's say you've got a, a supervisor. Maybe you've been in this setting before. Maybe you've been this, 
where the employees come together, the group of employees, I don't know, 10 to 12, they come together in the morning. The supervisor has the whole day of task worked out. They've got it on their little tablet here, and they're going to now tell you, here's what you're going to do. So they go, hey, Bob, here's what I need you to do. You're going to go down there, and you're going to take the blower, and those sidewalks are a mess from all the leaves. So blow all those, make those nice and clean. Hey, Sam, you, uh, you've got the painting today. That barn needs to be repainted. I know we started. we got to get it done. And just keeps going and going and saying, this is what we're going to do. And let's say, and we've all had this supervisor before that's really, really energetic about the job, you know, and you sit back and go, hmm, why are they so excited at 6 a.m. in the morning? Uh, but they're just energetic. And let's just say this guy is bringing it. This guy or lady is, is just bringing it, right? And all the tasks are assigned. And they're like, okay, here we go. And, and you actually are getting a little energized as well. So the tasks are handed out. There's this final let's go excitement. Maybe they even come up with some little chant that you do. I don't know. Does that happen in your work settings? Anson and I do it every morning. Oh. And then the time is now go. And let's say about 10 of those dozen people that just were motivated, they just sit right down. Continue on to their phone, their work. Uh, you know, they're eating their egg McMuffin. They just continue on with what they're doing. The supervisor goes out and picks up the blower, works for a few hours blowing things, having a good old time. It goes down, spends a few hours with the weed eater, heads over to that barn, spends a few hours getting that barn painted. Before they know it, 14 hours of a day, might be time to call it a day today. We'll come back tomorrow, we'll do it again. Same amazing speech tomorrow morning, same great tasks that are handed out to employees. And then the same group that sits down. That would make no sense, right? Like you'd be like, there's some firings in the work at this company, right? But if we're not careful, that's what we do in the kingdom world. That God says to us, you all have a task. He says like this, hey, Bob, here's what I need you to do. I want you to go over to your work and you have this special niche. I mean, you have those five people, this special thing going on over there. Go find whatever avenue you can to just speak Christ. Uh, Cheryl, you have a heart for your neighborhood. I want you to launch into your neighborhood and figure out some way, block party, something to bring your neighbors together, just some avenue. And then he just starts assigning. Do you know what? You're in that employee room with me. And God is assigning us these things to say, go be a part of my mission. Can you see how it breaks the heart of God for us to say, yeah, that's exciting. That's awesome. And then we sit down. That's a mission to be ripple effect in our world, to say, grab hold of what God is telling us and go. John 17, 18, as you sent me into this world, I have sent them into this world. Jesus is saying, Father, what you wanted me to do, I did. Then I sent them to do it because you wanted me to do that as well. Take a look at the Apostle Paul. He writes actually much of the New Testament, and he says a couple passages that are important here. He says, we speak as men or people approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. That's all of us, entrusted with the gospel. And we're not trying to please men, but God. We're pleasing God who tests our heart. 2 Timothy says, in the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who are qualified to teach others. You know, you're qualified. Sometimes we think teach means, well, I got to preach a sermon next week. I mean, no, some of you could knock it out of the park. Some of you, you, that's not your gig, right? 
but to share God in your avenue with your sphere of influence, you're the best. You're the best at it. And God has said, let's just, let's just go do it now. Go do it. Imagine that rock again, right? We're talking about making a ripple in people's lives, a ripple that affects people. Now imagine taking your rock and the biggest rock you can, because, you know, I grew up uh, with boys. You know, I have two boys. And so eventually the biggest thing that can get thrown in the lake is going to, you know, be tried to be thrown in the lake, even if they have to work together on it. Picture that being being thrown into the water now, right? Big splash, big commotion, but no ripple. I don't even know if it's scientifically possible, probably not, but for the sake of what we're talking about, you throw it in the water, big splash, big commotion, it goes in, no ripples. What, what does that really reach? I, in a few seconds, you don't even know what happened. The splash is gone, the rock's under the water, you can't see it anymore. But I could throw so much of a, as a small rock into the water and see ripples that would start to push across. And if we let those ripples go, they could, depending on the, the, the conditions that day, they could push all the way across the body of water. That's what God wants us to do, to be a ripple effect and to share who he is and be a part of this mission. Simply put, it's this. Matthew 28, it's a passage you're very familiar with or many of you. Let me share it in a little bit different translation. Helping people find their way back to God. That's always been a passion at Windover Hills. It's always been part of our mission. Teach them to obey Jesus' ways. Why? Because it's better life. And baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we get to go out and teach them to do the same thing. And the great news is we don't have to do it ourselves. Jesus is talking about this breathing and prophesying into them. The Holy Spirit empowers us to go and to do this. Here's what's happened, though, over time. We've taken kind of some liberties, not just we here, but the we in the church in general, some liberties, and we've redefined the word church. Some have gone so much to feel like church is really the building, it's the gathering. So when I speak church, I'm talking about this hour on Sunday morning, right? That's church. And then some would push against that and say, no, 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 church isn't church just God's people. It's just God's people. And we go way over here, and so we get these two sides the truth of the matter, it's both. The gathering is so important. We learned that in the word ecclesia in the New Testament speaks of the gathering. But there's no doubt God's people going out and being part of the mission is his focus. So we've been mistaken sometimes, and we've used different, I'm going to use some metaphors this morning. Uh, for some of us, the church has become a cruise ship mentality. Have you ever gone on a cruise? Any of you out there? I have not. I'm a little nervous about the whole, whole deal. Uh, but the cruise ship, uh, I could imagine when you're signing up for cruise ships, you usually sign up for something you want to go on, something that fits your interest, right? So you say, uh, would you like to go on this one? Nah, I'm not really into all the bands and music kind of stuff. I'm more into, I don't know, Disney. Well, there's a Disney cruise. We'll go on a Disney cruise. You know? And I mean, you can find all kinds of cruises that fit the phrase, I like, or what you like. And then when you're on there, a cruise is mainly nonstop entertainment, right? And a lot of food, I hear. That does uh, intrigue me on the, the cruises. But sometimes we've thought of the church in a cruise ship mentality. Like we walk in the door and say, what's here for me? And where it's true, we want to be a part of building into you and empowering you, and we know you're all unique. Building into you, it, it works differently. 
We're going to talk about our summer growth groups right after the message, and we'll have different groups because all of you are different. That's important. But if we're not careful in the cruise ship mentality, we lock into, do I like this? Is this good for me? And so I like becomes the, the focus. In some circles, though, we've gone the other way entirely, and we said, no, there is a war out there, and we need to fight this in the kingdom of God here, and we become the battleship mentality. We're going to be the aggressor here, and we understand that the church's job is to go out to get as close to the enemy as we can and just hurl bombs, right? We think of it from a battleship mentality. Now, this was a, a, a little more proper when I was younger uh, and a kid, and, and there was a few Christian videos, VHSs, if you remember, um, that, that circled around the church world, and they were focused on this. They'd be described as this more of this battleship mentality. Maybe we need a, a better metaphor, though. Maybe we need to understand that when Jesus is saying something like, just as God sent me, I am sending you. I've built into you for three years, and now I'm sending you out to do the work of the kingdom. Maybe an aircraft carrier is a better metaphor for us to understand that we are equipped and we're sent out for the mission. The idea is that we're, like, we're all like those planes or pilots. We're all part of the mission. But if you could picture right now you getting in a little plane saying, my mission is to fly to Asia. And you just jump into it, and you said, I'm going to bypass all the fueling stations. I'm just going. You know, I want to make great time. You're not going to get very far. You're either going to be under the water or floating on top of it at some point. And that's how it is in the church world. If we, if we miss that really what God's purpose of his church is to refuel us and send us back out for the mission. That we would come on Sunday mornings, not because we'd say, well, I like that, I like that. I mean, I hope you do. I mean, we've got great music here. Um, we spent four and a half years in metal seats. You're sitting in a nice, comfortable chair, are you not? Yeah, right? Sometimes the pastor even gets it right on Sunday morning. So it's all kinds of good things that happen. But the truth of the matter, the focus is that we would empower you, refuel you, and at about 11.45 say, now go do it. Now go do the mission of Christ. Can you imagine if the world would, if, if all of us in the world who loved God, like if, if everyone who called Christ their Savior, if everyone who that was depending on Jesus for their eternal destiny, if everyone who called Windover Hills Church home, if you said it's a requirement for my life to be a ripple effect for other people, that I want what Jesus has done on my life to rub off on other people. Can you imagine what that would look like? If even a church our size chose to do that in the locale Jesus put us in and every little locale God sends you into throughout your week, that would be powerful. I mean, can you imagine that and comprehend how different the world around us would be, even the folks we encounter, the healing that God would bring to their life, and how more vibrant your and my Christianity would be if the mission was our focus now, up till now, I've been uh, talking in terms of the individual, right? And it's clear Jesus is speaking individually here, but he's also speaking very corporately. He always does. That collectively, what he is saying to this group as well is that we together fulfill what Acts 1.8 says, that we would go into all the world and that we're going to be his witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, everywhere, we're going to spread out and be his missions. And the body of Christ has to understand that there's also kind of a corporate and a collective effort as well, that we're actually part 
of launching new churches, new ministries, new efforts to reach people for Jesus Christ. My in-laws just recently left uh, our home. They were there for a couple weeks, and they'll head back to the mission field. In just uh, about a week and a half, they'll get on a plane at, uh, in, in my father-in-law in his 80s, will get on a plane, and they'll head back to the Philippines to continue missions work in their life. No retirement there. Um, why? Because the missions, they're so driven by the mission. Um, but you know, in the time that they've been missionaries, God has expanded the whole corporateness of what they're doing over there. New churches have launched. Amazing. They're working now with about 30 church planners now who will launch new churches. And so the same as here at Wendover Hills, to be a part of the effort of seeing the kingdom expand through church multiplication as well. And so uh, I want to this morning kind of finish us off this morning by talking about two words They're at the bottom of your program. And these two words are, are this. They're the word sent and the word called. And I believe this morning what we're talking about um, and for our purposes, I want to use the word sent, that God has put on every Christian's job description that you are sent to be a part of the mission of Jesus Christ. You are sent to go speak the love of God into people, to serve them, to care for them. And when the opportunity is there, to open up the door for them to say yes to Jesus Christ in their life. Every single one of us, none of us are immune. Like the supervisor that's handed out the task and the 10 that sit down will be ineffective if we sit. That's the word sent. I wonder this morning if there's enough of you that would say, you know, through this teaching, through this morning, what God was already doing even before you got up, Tom, uh, I, feel, I feel motivated. I feel hit between the eyes that the word sent is something I've neglected in my Christianity. The word sent is something I've put upon others. I've said that's a leader thing. That's not really a me thing. But I understand that sent is what we're all supposed to do. And I can even see the avenue if I would just launch out and trust God in my work or home or a hobby or whatever it may be. If, you, if that's you this morning on the back of your program, there's two boxes. You would mark that box sent to say God has kind of reawakened or ignited me to the understanding that I am sent. And I need to go do that. That could involve you, like I said before, making connections with people, neighbors or coworkers. It could involve an invitation to come sit in church with you and, and be blessed and then take them out to lunch afterward and spend time with them. Whatever God calls you to do on that, you are sent. Do it. You would mark that box this morning. It's for yours. You're not turning this in. This is for you to put somewhere as a reminder this week. But I believe God is actually speaking to some others of you, and we're going to use the word called for this purposes this morning. I believe God is speaking to some others of you who would say, look, I, I know what the mission is. I know we should all be a part of it. Um, I've loved being refueled by this aircraft uh, carrier every week and being sent out. But I really believe maybe this morning for the first time I, I, God's laid it on your heart, or maybe God has been tickling you on this and you've just been pushing it aside but you would say, I believe I feel called to initiate a, a new aircraft carrier, a new church, a new ministry, a new mission field. That God has actually told me, I, I think I'm called to full-time vocational ministry. Like maybe you're one of our young folks that's sitting in here today and you're still processing your vocation in life. I was 17. I was sitting in a junior English class maybe. And in a matter of about a second and a half, God impressed on my mind, Tom, you probably should go into the ministry. 
It took me about a second to say, okay, God, that sounds about right. And that was it. That's my dramatic call to ministry. That doesn't last long at campfires when you share that kind of story at camp. That was my calling in ministry. So maybe you're one of our young folks today and you're still processing your vocation. And what you're feeling is God is ever increasingly sharing with you, you have a call to full-time ministry. He desires you to be a pastor, a missionary, you know, something we don't even have a title for yet. But you know it's like full-time focus in mission building. Or maybe this morning you're not young. Maybe you're like, man, I've been working my career for 12 years. I guess I missed it. No. One of the fastest growing uh, groups of where pastors come from is those who God calls out of their present vocation and into full-time ministry, whatever it may be. This morning, if that's you, if you're like, man, God's been kind of tugging on me, but I've been like, man, I make a decent salary. I do a decent job. What in the world would happen if I stepped out of it? I don't know, but it's got to be good if God's calling you to it. Maybe that's you this morning. Either one of you that I spoke to on that, the young or maybe you're in a, a, a vocation already, the word called is what we're using for the purpose of what we're talking about this morning. That would be your box. Check box, called. And I want to make sure we pray for you. In fact, if this morning you feel called, this is what I want to do. In just a minute, when I start praying, if you said called, I know what it is. You've confirmed it this morning. Uh, I've been kind of tiptoeing around it, but you've confirmed it. Um, when I start praying, if that's you, maybe it's no one in here. You know, Maybe that'll come down the road. But if there's somebody in here, I want to invite you, if you're, if you're willing, to just come down and let us pray for you. Just, just let us pray. And we'll celebrate with you that you're answering God's call. If it's sent, if that was the box you you pray right where you're at and just say, Lord, today, send me. Send me wherever it is. I want to be somebody who is mission-focused in everything I do. So I'm going to spend a moment praying with you. So let me allow you to prepare your heart here. Close your eyes if you would. And I want to pray for you. Father, you're a God that because of your mission... Every single one of us can say the same thing. You brought me into the kingdom. Lord, I know you as my savior because you were mission focused and you used in my life Mark Wilson to speak into my heart. I used him to tell me about you. You used him to let me know what life is like to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I celebrate the day that that clicked, and I said yes. And I was a believer because you are a mission God and because Mark Wilson was sent, and he took that serious. Father, I think we've got a, a room full of people here this morning that have varying degrees of how seriously they've taken the word sent. And what you're saying is I need to advance my church, advance my kingdom, and the truth of the matter is what I'm going to do is I'm going to send people to do it. And so this morning, if you're sitting right here and you would say, I've, I've kind of neglected that word sent. I get excited for a few moments and then I trickle away or I've never gotten excited about it or whatever it would be. Right now, right now, would you declare it to God in your heart? Would you say, God, I am sent. I own it. I'm going to be a part of your mission this week to love people to speak Christ into people, to pray for people, however you, however you would lead me. 
You don't have to look for any ways to be confrontive or abrasive. Just go out and love people. And when the door opens, speak words of Jesus into them. You're sent. You are. Own it. Jesus is saying to you this morning, just as God sent me, I am sending you. It's available for you. Go make it happen. Father, there's some others in here and two standing down here. In fact, I want to invite, if you're, if you're just close and standing there and you want to step up and lay a hand on, on these two, we'll pray along with them. Father, I recognize for others sometimes it's not a greater calling. It just is more time directed at this. And that is that you've called some into full-time vocational ministry. And Lord, uh, for many people, they, they run from it a long time. And that's why they become pastors and missionaries later in life. Lord, there might be some young folks in here this morning. This is the morning you're solidifying, you're putting on their heart, or you're very least planting a seed. But Lord, we lift up Robert and Wendy who stand here declaring a call to ministry. And we, we Lord, we ask you that, that you would speak into that fully, give direction, provide all the needs and take care of all the obstacles. And Lord, I'll also pray for the one or two that are sitting out here that are like, I'm contemplating. I'm trying to discern whether this is God speaking or if this was something uh, otherwise that I'm mistaking. I want to pray, Lord, your your spirit would be so, so clear today that if you're calling him in the ministry, that even today they could declare yes. But they would go before you. Father, thank you for, for this. Thank you for your church. And we would pray that Windover Hill would be a church that would grow, but we would grow because we're all about mission. And so we thank you for that. We pray it all in your son's name. Amen. 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 So one of the ways I'd love to this week is I want to pray for you. Um, we do 